That's me, high voltage personality. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the edge of my chair. I don't know if you guys can tell that, but I am. And I wonder if you guys are too, because obviously it's just me here tonight. <laughs> but I thought about that. What would happen if it was just me? What if there wasn't a science live with Roger Billings again? What if there was that last moment? There's always that last one, isn't there? Is this rehearsed? No. <laughs> now I can sit straight on my chair. <laughs> Thank so you for nice coming back. See. Thank you for coming. <laughs> I had to go get my invention. Oh, yeah. I invented Left me this. hanging. <laughs> I felt like you I was know, One of the big problems facing the nation right now is a lot of people are getting sick. They have colds. Uh -huh. flu, and they sneeze, and they get watery eyes, and they cough. So I invented this. What Look, you it? can put that in your pocket. Are or you going to show it to purse. us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is it. What is it? It's a, it's a cough machine. It produces coughs, or it yes. stops coughing? <laughs> yes. If, if everybody's coughing but you, that's annoying. <laughs> you open this up. Stick your nose in it for just a second, and you'll cough as good as the best of them. <laughs> this is going to sell. I just, I love it. I'm going to put it right here. Yeah. If you need it, you just let me know. Okay? I'm good right now. Okay, well, it's an exciting day here at IST because, and to sell us, mm -hmm. because we have some news. What is it? And I'd like to have her share it this oh, time. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I already did or my... Or are you out of the loop? You know, I'm out of the loop. That <laughs> <laughs> naughty funny. laugh. You really are? A pretty naughty laugh. <laughs> we have not one, but two new buildings today. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that today? Great? Today. August Yeah, we built 30th. them. No, actually, we acquired <laughs> them. So we were able to acquire two new buildings across the road. And so we're building a campus here. We are doing and that. And the two new buildings are for manufacturing. We have a, a facility where we manufacture electronic equipment, computers, networking, and so forth, and a solace equipment. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, our facility has shrunk. <laughs> Or so it seems. <laughs> yeah. Things don't fit in there they anymore. Don't. They don't. And it seems like more and more people want the stuff, and it's kind of getting to be a real problem. Mm -hmm. So we looked around, and we were very fortunate that our wonderful neighbor across the street offered us their buildings, and we grabbed them. And so we now have a new manufacturing home. Do you want to see it? Yes, I do. Yeah, it just so happens that it's right out the window. So I got my camera. <laughs> and I did a shot like this. And notice how steady it is. 
<laughs> That's because Robots. of image stabilization software. But anyway, okay. would you like to see it? Yes. This is the image across the street. Okay, here I am looking out of my window at the Billings Tower. And this over here is the Hilton Garden Inn, which is right next door to us. But I want to show you the new building. So here is Ambassador Drive. And can you see there the orange building? That's the brand new building that we just acquired today in the little tan building to the left. That happens to also be part of the package that we purchased. So those two new buildings become part of our manufacturing facility. If we swing on over here a little further, you can see beyond that is our IST parking lot. And then across the road from that is the IST campus. And there comes IST. And I'll just show you a little more of this. Maybe you can even see the IST sign up there. So that is the, the location. Hopefully everybody can see where it's at. It'll be fun. I wonder if I can zoom in on that sign. <laughs> you can see it better. There we go. There's IST. Can you see it? So there it is. Not hard to find, you just go right out the front door. So this little neck of the woods is turning into a science place. It is. So we have two hotels that were converted into dorms, and we have this building, which is where we started. We call it Billings Tower. This is where the headquarters of Acellus are. Across the street are two buildings called the IST campus. IST stands for ISTE. <laughs> which is not a drink. It's the Institute of Science and Technology, which is where you go after you do a CELUS. Mm -hmm. You do a CELUS and you do that. Yep. And IST teaches all kinds of advanced science. And I'm so proud of the fact that the things we're doing at IST are cutting edge. We're not uh, teaching Tobias methods of calculating. <laughs> We're teaching the newest and latest technologies, and, and I want to show some of that. Okay. But before I do, I would like to give just a short rebuttal to Tobias. Oh, yeah? Don't you think he needs that? I think he does. You, you're taking rebuttals? You know, can anybody like that camarada over there catch Toby over there sitting all <laughs> smug and all comfortable and happy on the back row? There he is. Yeah. Oh, hey. Good job, Tobias. Love it. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a lot of fun. Can you imagine having to live with him all week long? <laughs> Pretty awesome. It's intense. It is intense. Uh, I don't know if everybody realizes it, but if you watched an Acellus video, then you met Tobias. Yeah. Tobias and his teams are the one that films all of the lessons with Acellus, and that's why they get better and better and better. Because finally, he's getting better and better. No, he is, he's amazing. I'm very grateful to have him. Let's hear it for Tobias. And now that we've sang his praise, let's bring him down to humility. You know, another guy invented one of those computer things with gears. And I want you to help me build one of these in your virtual laboratories, the laboratories of your brains, where you always run your experiments before you build them because it's cheaper. 
right? <laughs> Hopefully. Matthew's, it is not. <laughs> it should be, right? Okay, so imagine that you have a gear, and a gear has 100 cogs on it. And then you have a little wheel that turns. So when this wheel turns around one time, this wheel turns around, excuse me, this one turns around 100 times, this wheel turns around one time. Okay. And so that's what gear ratios are, 100 to 1. So this wheel goes around once, that one goes around one-hundredth of a time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So let's say this first one, we'll do one revolution in a minute. We have a little motor on it that turns at one revolution per minute. So the second wheel turns around in how long? <laughs> Mark? 100 minutes. In 100 minutes. This one goes around every minute. And this one's turning much slower. It goes around in 100 minutes. And then there's another wheel hooked to that. It has a little wheel to another big one, 100 to 1. So, Matthew, how long does it take this next wheel to turn? 100 times 100 is 10,000. Yeah, yeah. See, that's why we want a machine that prints it. No human error, right? Okay. So 10,000. And who can tell me what the next wheel's going to be? Is it 100,000? No, it's a million. So just think about that. We're only that many gears out, and we're already down to this wheel turns once every million minutes. Oh. Who can tell me how many days a million minutes is? <laughs> Come on. A million minutes is three days. Someone want to do some calculations for us? How many minutes is an hour? 60. 60. So 24 times 60 is how many minutes per day? 694 days. So every two years, that fifth wheel turns around. When does the next one turn around? every 250 days, oh right? Now here's the spooky part. If you keep adding gears, each 100 to 1 ratio, and you get out to 100 of them, it will take so long to turn around that just to power it that long would take more energy than there is in the universe. Wow. Isn't it interesting how these Expansions go up. It's kind of fast. It's really neat. Yeah, it is kind of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Well, stuff like. Did I tell you about this? <laughs> it's one of those special ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, this is one up on Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks. No, we have a Starbucks in our thing. We have so two. I'm a Starbucks. You have one too. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Starbucks. You know. It's a coffee machine. Coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, where was it? Okay. So what I want to do now is talk a little bit about this new building over, over at IST so we understand the news. What are we going to do in there? Well, we're going to make neat stuff. And one of the ways to make the neatest stuff is to use the neatest, newest technology. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to making electronic circuits, the new technology 
for putting these circuits together is a 20,020 state-of-the-art pick-and-place machine. And what's a pick-and-place machine? Well, it's a thing like this. It picks up a part mm -hmm. for a circuit board. Imagine this is a circuit board, because it is. Okay? <laughs> and it puts it on the board. And then it picks up another part and puts it on the board. That's right. That's a pick-and-place mm -hmm. machine. We have been running pick-and-place machines for 20 years. Now, our first pick-and-place machine, I think, was older than that one the guy never built. <laughs> it was really, really, really it's old. And we were so grateful yeah. to get it. We got that machine. We put so much TLC and labor and love into it. And I think we ran it for two years. Let's get a real one. But little by little, because we wanted to learn how to build stuff, real stuff. We wanted to make computers. We wanted to make networking equipment. We wanted to make our own stuff because we wanted to make things that you couldn't buy anywhere on planet Earth because they didn't exist yet. Kind of like the first Billings computer. Mm -hmm. It was the first all-in-one desktop computer, 1975. Nobody had one, so we built it. Later on here at IST, we wanted to build the world's fastest network over standard wires. And so we called it Wideband, okay. and we built it, but we had to build it ourselves. And so that started a great legacy. Well, we have a machine now that uh, we're really proud of, and the students that come to IST get to run that machine. In fact, we have a lot of really, really neat cutting-edge machines. Uh, if you go to school and you learn how to run a machine that makes circuit boards, that's very valuable because people want graduates that know how to do stuff like that. But the interesting thing, if you learn how to run a real, real old machine, it's not as valuable. Not. Just imagine you go to apply for a job and this is a job at a big bus company and they had these really fancy new buses powered by hydrogen, awesome. and they, they're looking for drivers, and so you go in and they say, are you trained to drive? Oh, yes, yes, I went to school and learned how to drive. What did you learn how to drive? Horse and carriage? <laughs> well, we don't want IST to be like that. We want to have the very latest state-of-the-art. I'm going to show you a circuit board. This is one of our circuit boards, and to be really honest, this particular circuit board is the most advanced we've ever designed and built. This is, you know, actually it has a brother that uh, maybe is a teeny bit more advanced, but they, they're both the same. It's just one has more ports and one has a higher performance. But this board can do some really amazing things. Now, I, I think it's gonna be a little hard to see on this picture but there's some components in here. Wow, look how he can zoom. Okay, there's some components in here, right here, that are very, 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 very small. Mm -hmm. Some of these parts are so small that you can barely see them. And these are resistors and capacitors and the kind of parts that you need to make the circuit board. Now this circuit board has several layers of wires on it that are stacked up as, as thin layers. So it's a multi-layer board. And I will tell you that these little teeny tiny components here are very important because 
because they're so small, you can put them very close together. And this board runs so fast that the amount of time at the speed of light that it takes a circuit to go around the board holds it up. So we want to have them as close together as we can. And it turns out that this board with these parts are now what we call big parts. Because this was our last generation machine that makes these, and now we have a new generation that can go two sizes smaller. And you really need to have a magnifier glass to see them. They are so small. But that's how we make things like our amazing cell phones and that, where the parts are all jammed in that little package, and they run at very, very high speeds. At any rate, so we now have a brand new pick and place machine, which is absolutely the latest state of the art. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. These are connectors. This is where you plug in fiber optic cables. So you can hook this to a network. This is a network device. This is a way of connecting different computers. What is this used for? Well, have you ever heard of a program called Acellus? I have. You have? Yes. Yeah. I think they've heard about it too. Well, did you know <laughs> that your image uh -oh. is broken down and put in here and goes through these fibers. Everybody that's taking an Acellus course has run their data and watched their movies through this device. So I may not really look like I look like because of my scrambled it. <laughs> right? I have no idea what people on your planet look like <laughs> in reals. For in reals. I don't know. I don't know which planet I it know, is. I know. We're still going to sure. find out. Mm -hmm. Unless you can tell I'm us. Not tell. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about this for just a minute. This board was very expensive to design. Mm -hmm. It needed to run extremely fast. In fact, it was needed by one of our customers, by a contractor, for a very important project that they had. And we had a patent on an invention that would allow us to build the fastest networking appliance in the world. Absolutely the fastest. And this was based on a new invention. In fact, we have three patents on it. And so they came to us and they said, could you build us a network appliance using your invention that would be able to transfer data so when it comes into one port, it's going out in 25 billionths of a second. That's a very, very short period of time. We call it 25 nanoseconds or billionths of a second. Well, it turned out that in order to get the data here, we have to go through a part, through a big part. And this funny looking thing you can see here is actually a heat sink. I'll show you. I just happened to bring one. This is an aluminum heat sink. And these are put on parts where they are running so fast that they get hot. And it's to give it more surface area to get rid of the heat. Okay? But underneath this heat sink, there has to be a chip. And I just happened to bring one of those too. This is the chip underneath. I'm going to try and hold this so you can kind of see it. And I'm going to flip it over when he gets it zoomed in here real tight. If I turn it so you can see it, you can actually see it. Hey, well, look at that nice photography. I'm going to turn it upside down because this has a lot of electronics inside of it. But if I turn it upside down, you can see the wires that connect it to this board. Do you want to see them? 
there they are. And as you can probably see, there are a lot of, I can see if he can keep up with me. That's <laughs> there are a lot of wires. Now this kind of a pad coming out of the chip, and look how many there are. This is a very high density of pad. We call them BGAs, this type of connector. And you can imagine that when you put this on the circuit board, it's got to be lined up perfect. If it's turned the slightest bit crooked, then these are going to short out or not touch. So they have to be put on. And you have to have a very good machine to use a part like this. Now here's the real fascinating thing about this part. Look how you can actually read it there, <laughs> backwards. It says, yeah, you, can, you can actually see it on there. Oh, try it one more time. Get it turned just right. Kintex 7. This is called an FPGA, which stands for Filled Programmable Gate Array. And that's something you ought to understand because this particular part and things like it are changing our world. They really, really are. All of us know about computers. We have one probably in our pocket. We have one on our desk. Computers, computers, computers. And how does a computer work? Well, it has programs. And the way that a computer goes is it finds the very first step in a program. And when you start running that program, it executes the first step. And then it executes the second step, and then the third step, and then the fourth step. You follow me? And it goes all the way down through all the steps in these very long programs. And what are the steps like? The steps are commands for a central processing unit. All of the commands in a computer are combinations of ones and zeros. In the Billings computer, the commands that our Z80 microprocessor used were 16 digits long. So one command would be something like 1110001111111100. It'd just be ones and zeros. And they gave us a book with a list of numbers. And every one of those numbers would make that CPU do something. And you say, well, what kind of things would it do? Well, for example, it would get a number stored at some place. Let's say it's on a mouse or an input device, like a screen. You type it on the keyboard. You type the letter A on the keyboard. And when you do that, it would put a value at the input to the computer. When we would run one of the commands, it would say, get the input, get the input at the specified location, and move it into memory. Only the specified location would be an address. So you put in 16 digits to say, get a number, and then you put in 32 numbers, 32 digits, to tell it the address where to get the number. And then you'd have to give it 32 more on where to put it in memory. And it would execute these as instructions step by step. And everything you do in a computer is like that. Well, when we hit an A, the A doesn't know what a, I mean, the computer doesn't know what an A is. 
computers know ones and twos. It's kind of like I was in the third grade. Ones and twos? Yeah. And they threw that three in, and I got so confused. <laughs> okay, but they're just zeros and ones is all the computer knows. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to hit an A and have the computer know what an A is, someone had to invent a code. And guess how they invented it? How? By chance. They just <laughs> made them up. And actually, the first set of conversions between letters and digital codes, ones and zeros, was made by IBM. And they call that list, that arbitrary list, because there was no tie between the A and the number and the B and the number. They just made some up. The only thing that was unique is that they were all different, okay? But that list they called EPSIDIC, and it was proprietary to IBM. And they used it in the IBM mainframes, and it really caught on, and it became very popular. Then when other guys started building computers, we thought, well, that's a good list. We'll just use it. And that's when IBM got grumpy. They said, no, 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 no. That's our <laughs> proprietary trademark technology. So we couldn't use it. So all of the other computer companies got together and they formed a committee. They call it the ASCII committee, and it's an acronym that talks about the American Committee for the Standard, and they made up a whole new list. What they do different? For A, they used a different code. And all those codes in that list are eight characters long, and they're all ones and zeros. And interestingly, the ASCII list is different than the EPSIDIC. And boy, that caused a lot of confusion yeah. for a long time. <coughs> now IBM's using ASCII. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it became so somebody. popular, because mm -hmm. it was a standard. Well, anyway, so a computer has a list of instructions. Each one makes the inside of the chip do something. And every clock, every time the little crystal says, now, the processor executes one instruction. And instructions are move a number from this location to that. Now move another number from here to here. Now add the two numbers together and put them in the register called the accumulator. Now move that back to memory. And that's what they do. And that is the instruction set. And so when you say go, how long it takes to run a program depends on how many steps there are mm -hmm. and how fast your computer runs. The clock of the computer, today they run about 3 billion instructions a second. Okay? 3 gigahertz. But this is not a CPU. This chip is something entirely different. And this is the magic. This is something you ought to all know about. It really gets me excited. <laughs> Does it get you going? Yes. This is an ocean of gates. Fill program programmable gate array. An array of gates. It's a whole collection of gates. What are gates? Well, they're things that keep the cattle in or let the cattle through, right? <laughs> That's a gate. Or in computer terms, a gate is a transistor. Off the top of Dr. John's head, can you tell me how many gates this has? Like 12 million, 12 million gates. 
off the top of his head. Yeah. 12 million transistors in here? Think about it. And these can be made with all different sizes of gates. And they all have different ratings on how fast those gates can operate. And nowadays, they run very, very fast. But here's the amazing thing. This does not execute instructions like a CPU. Why? It's too darn slow. What does this do? Every time you give this a clock, instead of executing one of the instructions, it executes all of the logic on all the gates, on all of the chip, in one clock. So this can do things that make a CPU look like it's going really slow. Mm -hmm. It's very, very fast. Well, we wanted to make a board like this one that was capable of having data come in here process it and send it out the right place at the right time. And the right time was almost instantly. It had to be. Our contract said under 25 billionths of a second they want it coming out. And so we had to use this chip to do it. Now, when we signed this multi-million dollar contract, there was no silicon on the planet available that was fast enough to meet that goal. But there were some coming out. And so we said, okay. <laughs> and um, guess who inherited the job of designing this chip? Dr. John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. The same guy that talks to us every night. Thank you, John. Mm -hmm. And this chip is really amazing. How do you design it? It has all of these transistors in it when you buy it. But the other thing about this chip that's remarkable is a filled programmable gate array. So you can pro program all those gates to hook them together any way you want. When you buy the chip, they're just all there. And you can put them in a machine and burn it. And what it does is it makes like a circuit board, wiring all these gates together. So they will do whatever you want them to do. All you have to do is be brainy enough to do it, <laughs> which I found a lot easier to make a friend like John than learning how to do it. <clears throat> okay? So then you put this chip on the board, and it's got to be put on so perfect mm -hmm. that a normal machine can't do it. It's got to be absolutely precision. And then you put the other parts on, and lo and behold, you give it back to your customer and say, we got one. Go ahead. Test it, I dare you. And they did. They did. Uh, and when they tested it, from when the data arrived at any of these ports, it was going out the next port, not in 25 billionths of a second, but in 19. 19 billionths of a second, which I think makes it the fastest forwarding device available today. And we manufacture those right here. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we manufacture them in the building that shrunk. <laughs> and so we bought some new equipment as though the building wasn't already too small, and that made it smaller. And so, lo and behold, that's why we acquired the equipment across the street. Now, this cabinet here is actually, let me get a front shot of this, please, and from the front, focus, focus. All right, wait for it. There it is. Can you see that? 
This is this board inside the cabinet. Now, I want to show you how it's made. To make a thing like this, you've got to have a Dr. John to design the FPGA design. And then you've got to have another guy, another IST graduate that would know how to build something like this. I'd like to invite up uh, Steve, Steve Merkley. Let's hear it for Steve. <laughs> you have a hand mic. Come and have a chair, Steve. <laughs> did you bring your microphone with you? I did not. Oh, you didn't bring it, huh? Here, you can use Joshua's then. All right, let's let's do a mic check. Mic check. Testing. Are you Mike? No, I'm not. They'll be quiet. Okay, that's good to have you here. Well, Steve, uh, tell us everything about how this works. I told him I was going to ask him that question, <laughs> and he said, "Do you mind if I bring some video?" So, did you bring some? I did. Yeah, it's pretty good. So you filmed this today, so that you'd be able to explain how you build this, right? Yes. What do you want to say by way of introduction? Sure nice to be here tonight. <laughs> grateful for the invitation. Excited to see the cough machine. <laughs> and something about Hi. <laughs> okay, so would you please show us your video? Mm -hmm. Okay. We start the SMT assembly process with a bare circuit board. This one is for a wideband concentrator. On this one, it has a bottom and a top, and we've already built up the top on this particular board. The first step is the stencil printer. The stencil printer is what puts solder paste onto the circuit board. You use a stencil like this one, and it has holes where the solder paste is going to go on the circuit board. So that goes into the machine. And then if you look in the back, you can see squeegees, and that's what's going to push this solder paste over the stencil and fill up those holes. This solder paste is this stuff, it's that gray. It's actually made up of tiny, tiny balls of lead solder. The paste has a flux in it that holds it all together, makes it sticky so that when the parts go on, it'll hold the parts in place, but it also works as it's going through the reflow process to make everything solder well. Now, if you watch this, the squeegee is gonna go down and just scrape that solder paste across the stencil. There's the board going in. It's got tooling that holds it up there in the bottom. And if you remember, we had those parts on the bottom. That tooling is special so that it doesn't push too hard on those parts and break them. So it'll hold it perfectly in place. So this is pushing that solder paste through those holes. Then on this machine, it has a process where it actually goes through and inspects all the solder that's just been soldered on the board. You can see the camera down there. If we look over here at the monitor, you can see it actually taking pictures of all the solder. And it uses software to figure out the coloration to know what parts have had solder paste put on them and what parts haven't. And it knows what size the solder pads should be 
And okay, I'm going to stop it there for just a minute. This is really neat, by the way. Okay, so if one of those little points didn't get soldered for some reason, what problem would that make? Could very potentially make it just completely not work, or you might have a port that doesn't work. Or so it actually takes a picture to make sure you got solder everywhere. That's right. Did your last generation machine do that? It did not. <laughs> did, did it ever cause any problems? Yes, we definitely had problems. Okay, good. Calculates from that whether it's got enough solder paste or if there's any bridges or anything like that. If you look here, this is all those little tiny spots for the big FPGA that goes on the concentrator. When it's finally done, it comes out of there and is ready to go into the pick and place machine. This is the pick and place machine. All these feeders on the front each have little tiny parts that it can place on the machine. Okay. What do you call those reels? Tape. Tape and reels, huh? So we saw those little teeny specks on there. Inside of each one of those is a part. That's right. Right. And so the tape and reel is like putting parts on the machine. How many is in a normal tape and reel? Uh, there's 5,000 of the resistors. 5,000 parts in one roll. So you put it on there, and then as it uses the parts, it turns that roll, and it peels the tape off to open up the next part and then is somehow going to grab the part right side up and put it exactly in the right place on the board. And with this machine, almost so small, you need a magnifier to see it. That's right. Okay, let's see some more. Some of these parts are tiny, tiny. If you look at this, there's some of these bigger ones. There's a little chip there. But then, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little tiny, tiny part that you can barely even see there. Anyway, we have this ready to go into the machine now and it goes in and the machine will start picking up parts from all those different feeders and putting them on the board. This pick and place machine has 10 spindles on the head so if you watch carefully you can see those spindles actually move down it'll pick up 10 different parts and put 10 different parts on the board. Okay, why does it pick up 10 different parts? So that it can do more at a time, so there's less movement of the head. So it knows what parts it needs, it knows what part is on each tape and reel, okay. so it comes over, moves around, grabs the ones it needs, and then moves all 10 at once over and puts them in exactly the right place on the circuit board. That's right. And because of that, it runs much faster than our old one, which you just come and get one, yeah. and place right. it, <laughs> one in place, okay. Of course, this is all going very high speed to where you can barely see it actually moving or putting up this part. You just see them shoot down there. Now, each one of these parts, as it picks it up, it actually takes a picture of the part 
before it places it so it knows exactly where it is and how to square it up and places it perfectly. Some of these parts, like that little tiny one, you just don't have any room for tolerance. And it comes out of the first machine and goes into the second machine. Now, typically, as the board goes through, we'll move up on the size of the parts. So the first machine does the tiniest parts. And the second machine will do the next size up. This one, some of those parts are big enough, you can actually kind of see them if you look really carefully. One of the things we can do on this is control how fast each of the parts is getting picked up and the machine moves. Because if the, with some of these bigger parts, if the machine moves too fast, it'll leave the part behind. So, especially as it gets into the next machine, you'll see sometimes the head's moving quite a bit slower. That's just because it's got a bigger part that needs to be a little bit more careful with. But that's all programmable and something we can see how well it's doing and adjust accordingly. Now, on, as it goes into this next one, it has a special tray feeder in the back for really large parts. Okay, I gotta ask you about the tray feeder. What does that mean, as a tray feeder? Is it like the lunchroom? <laughs> so, so some of the parts are too big to put on a tape and reel. Like this. Like this mm -hmm. And so they come in a plastic tray that has just rows of them. So that's a part, a tray full of parts? Yes. Okay. And this tray feeder, you can actually select which tray you want to re replace and it'll bring it up to the top and you can load it like this. But then if you watch carefully here, it'll pull the tray down, pull it out and then move it into the proper position on the magazine. You can see it there on the right, just zip, zip. And when it's ready to use that part in the pick and place machine, it'll pull it out and pick it directly from that tray. So here's the machine going into the third and final machine. So if you see in the back there, it just picked up a part out of that tray feeder. If you watch, a lot of these parts are the big ones, and so it, the head's moving around a little slower. You can even some of the up and down is slower just to make sure that everything gets placed perfectly. And one of the things we have to do is replace feeders and parts when they run out of parts so that the machine can keep going. When everything's running well, that's one of the main things the technician has to do. There, the tray feeder just came out again. This one's almost done, but you can see those are moving nice and slow. We want some of those bigger parts have really fine pitch on the bottom. 
So there's not much room for tolerance, even though they're bigger, they're not any less critical that they be placed in exactly the right place. And there's one of the feeders getting replaced. And it's done with the pick and place machines. Now the next machine is what we call the AOI. AOI stands for Automated Optical Inspection. This machine takes pictures of the whole board and all the different parts on there. If you see in there, you can see a light flashing. That flashing light is the light coming in from different angles. And based on the way that the light reflects, the machine can actually see how tall the different parts are and generate a 3D image. It has a very good camera. And that camera can read even the tiny print on some of those small parts and tell you if you've got the right part. It's got um, the OCR, the optical character recognition. It can actually read the part numbers off of the parts and tell you if you've got the right kind, even if it's the right size and shape, it might be a different part number and it can actually tell you that. Now here's where you're doing a, it lets you do a review and look at the places where it found issues and lets you look at it and see if there's actually anything wrong. So you can see that 3D image, you can actually move it around and see how tall it is. And like if one were up on a corner, like maybe a part got underneath it, it would actually be able to measure that. It can measure to the micron how far off it is. And that's stuff you all have to set to make sure that it catches the things that need to be caught, but not the things that don't. It's a very powerful machine that is really nice, especially with those tiny parts that you can barely see with the naked eye. It's pretty important to have something that can really see them and tell you if it's good or not. Then it comes out of the AOI, and finally, it's ready for the reflow oven. The reflow oven is where the solder gets melted onto the parts. And it has to travel pretty slowly through here because there's a certain ramp rate that you have to have, a certain amount of time that it has to be getting hot nice and evenly. And then there's a certain amount of time it has to stay above what they call reflow, which is the time while the metal's actually, the solder is actually liquid in there. If you can see on this profile, it gets up to 275 degrees Celsius. So we cut here, it actually takes like five minutes to go through, but this is it coming out. If you look closely as it's coming out, you can see that instead of that dull gray paste that we had at the beginning, the solder joints are nice and shiny which is the melted solder. And then once everything looks good, we'll actually put it through the AOI again to make sure all the solder joints are good because it can actually inspect those as well and just make sure that everything's pulled in nicely. You don't have missing solder or anything like that. After that, it goes to through hole, which is where we solder on a few parts that have to be put in by hand 
you see here they're actually soldering those in with a soldering iron and then there's several connectors and stuff that have to be put in place as well this is one of those jobs that takes practice and is very important that everything be soldered well you don't have any cold solder joints or anything so once the connector is on, it'll look something like this. You put a heat sink on there. And when everything's on the board, then it's ready for testing, which is gonna look something like this. You have some fiber cables plugged in there. You give it power and you turn it on. You see those LEDs come on? And then it's ready to program. And after that, then we're ready to put it in a cabinet. It's important to make sure everything's wired nicely in the cabinet. It's got to have good cooling. Screw it all in well. One of the things that is important is that these things are very stable and that nothing's going to be moving out of place or shaking loose. Once everything's screwed in place and you have, you notice we got those fans on the side and everything's plugged in, then it'll go through a QC, but then we're ready to put the lid on and it's a finished product once it's all screwed up. Once it's all done, then it'll be ready to move over with the other finished goods. So there you go, Steve. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so did you guys make this one? Yeah. Yeah. And every single student that does a cellus is making use of these. And it's a, a great benefit of technology we have. It's, it's interesting that uh, this stuff is made by students that learned on a cellus went through IST, and I, I think it's exciting. Some of you should come here to school. Uh, one of the philosophies that I have is that a person that's gonna be a programmer or an engineer should have experience running this stuff. Okay. And if they only run it for a while, they learn enough that when they go design it, they design it differently, don't they? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Good job.